I did? Okay. Mm. Yeah, right. I think everyone's struggling. All right. Hail the heavenborns of peace. Hail the sun of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Miles he lays his glory by barn. There the man no more may die. Born to rise the son of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald's angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Okay, I did step it down. I was seeing like that was your time. Yeah, that was you going to high that time. Yeah. Come, desire of nations and come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now we face. Stand thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That was a lost cause, oh well. Oh well. I heard you good know, singing, so thank you very much, everybody. It's good on singing. Like these, we miss our pianist, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Keeps us in Definitely. Line. Wow, you make fun of me? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm messing with you. <laughs> just kidding. All right, um, Mr. Randy, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing this day to be able to meet in your house, Lord, to hear your word. Mm. Bless the message today, and uh, so that we may all get the, the most out of your message. Mm. Amen. Please turn your um, hymn books to number 317, please. 317. Not that far from where we were before. Yeah, in 300s, yes. Yeah. 318? Yeah. Yeah. Nah, you want me to do 318? I can if you really want me to. I'm just kidding. 317, joy to the world. Join to the world. I thought you said 316. Where were we? I thought you said 316. I'm sorry. No, I said 317. Okay. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him. Sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven, heaven, nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rock hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat 
the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings grow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and one and wonders of His love. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Thank you all. We'll have pastor come up, do announcements, and maybe seated. There, we pulled that one off, singing in a lower key, so that worked out good. I just couldn't get the right song for some reason, but... All right, just a few announcements this week. Uh, well, I'll tell you, David is... Uh, so another pastor friend of ours down in uh, South Paris, Maine, Jaron McFarland. His wife had her baby. So David's down there filling in at uh, Grace Baptist Church in South Paris. So that's why he's not here today. And Jada and Katie and uh, Nathan, David's brother, are all not feeling good. So they stayed home. But um, that's what's going on there. So I just figured I'd let everyone know. Prayerfully, he'll be back next week. Um, we'll have our piano player again. Uh, but announcements, Monday. So that's tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Ladies, if you can, ladies, Christmas party will be here. Um, so 6 p.m., that's uh, for all you ladies. There's a craft that's been prepared, a uh, lesson, and some food and fellowship. So it'll be a great time. So I'd encourage you, if you can, come along and uh, have a good time with the ladies. The 18th, so uh, that would be next Sunday, we have our Christmas meal, our Christmas dinner. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out back on the clipboard um, for anybody who hasn't and or wants to sign up. Um, so Erica's making a ham, and then I think potatoes still need to be signed up. There's carrots and different things like that. So um, that'll be on the 18th, a week from today. So be a good time. Uh, remember we had our Thanksgiving dinner. That was excellent. It was a great time of fellowship and, of course, a great, great meal. Well, Christmas will be no different. So I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Wednesday the 21st, that's the following Wednesday after that Sunday. Um, candlelight service will be here, 7 p.m. At 6 p.m., if you can and want to come early, we're going to have some sugar cookies and cookie decorating next door with, you know, frosting and edible sugar, glitter stuff, sprinkles, and all that fun stuff. So come along and be a part of that. Uh, the 25th is Christmas Day. Just so happens this year that Christmas and Sunday land on the same day. So uh, to try and work with everybody's Christmas uh, traditions and, and get-togethers and all that, we're just going to do a 10.30 a.m. service. It'll just be the one service, and then we'll call it a day. Everyone can go about and, and uh, get together with their families and everything. And we are doing something different this year we've not done before. Uh, on the 31st, that's a, I don't know what the third, 31st actually falls on actually now that I think about it. I think it'd be a Friday, a Saturday, Saturday. 
Oh man, we're gonna keep everybody up late right before Sunday. We'll see how late everyone stays. But we're gonna do a Christmas Eve get together. So we'll, New Year's Eve, that's what I meant to say. New Year's Eve Christmas get together. I must need more coffee or something. My brain isn't working. Uh, New Year's Eve get together. So we'll have pizza, snacks, uh, there'll be some games. And really it's just an opportunity to fellowship and spend time together and get to, you know, further grow and develop our friendships and relationships here at the church. So it'll be a good time. It should be fun. So I'd encourage you to come and be a part of that. And then we'll work on getting next year's schedule together. Brother Andy? Are you planning on a men's prayer breakfast this month? Uh, stay tuned, because it would be the same day, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, stay tuned. I, I may do that, but I may not because we're already trying to get everybody to come out that night. So let's not. So just one time that day if we can get people to come out. Um, since that's something new, um, let's do that. We'll roll with just that evening. And then January, we will kick men's prayer breakfast back off. So sound like a plan? Very good. All right. Why don't we have our ushers come on down? Caleb, can you pray for the offering, though? God, thank you for this almost day, Lord. Bless the offering, Lord. Protect that pastor peace, by the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll just have one more. Please turn with me to 311, please. 311.
Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. <clears throat> Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's your Pastor, come up. All right. Debating if I need to take my coat off today. It's getting pretty cool. It's like someone's flipped a switch with that weather, wasn't it? It was like 50 degrees and all of a sudden it's 20 degrees. And uh, that hits hard <laughs> when you're going to be outside. But All right, we are going to look at two different passages to start us off this morning. Let's, we'll look at one. We'll stand together. Isaiah chapter 7. We'll stand together. We'll read this verse. We'll pray and be seated. We're going to take a couple weeks off from Ephesians and look at some, uh, some Christmas passages, if you will. And then we will uh, we'll get back to Isaiah after Christmas. Isaiah 7, let's stand together. <clears throat> we'll read just one verse, verse number 14. It's a, probably a familiar Christmas passage. All right, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we're able to assemble and look into your word. And This morning, I pray as we look at these passages and we jump around some and consider what it is that we are going to be 
looking at. I pray, Father, that you would help us, that you'd open our eyes, our ears, our minds, help us to see the truth that you want us to see and apply your word to our heart through the work of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I just pray that you'd accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish here in our midst and in our lives today. And we ask these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> there is Isaiah 7, 14, which we have fulfilled over in Matthew chapter 1. If we jump over to Matthew chapter number 1. Verses 18 to 25, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from, the, from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for, again, your word, and for the privilege that we can come together and study it. I pray you'd bless our time. I pray you'd guide my mouth, my thoughts, and uh, guide our hearts to the truth, Lord. We ask these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I guess the Lord felt we needed to pray twice today, because I'm so used to praying right after we read the passage, and we read two. So uh, I'll be honest, my, my brain is kind of whirling right now over a couple of different things. I have the message, and there are a couple different things I considered preaching out of this text this morning. One was on the virgin birth. And looking at that scripturally, we're not going to do that today. Who knows? Maybe we will next week. Uh, and seeing, you know, some would say that not only was Christ born of a virgin, but Mary was too. And they talk about that, which we know isn't the case. And then they talk about immaculate conception, all that kind of stuff, and that there's a, a chain or a line, but that's not the case. Um, and also that Jesus was the only son, which we know that's not the case either. I was reading, I think it was... Last, yesterday when I was reading and studying, I read a passage where, oh yeah, it was, actually we were going to go there in Sunday school, but we never made it, uh, where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Actually, we're going to see it this morning. And when he goes up onto the mountain, it says, and he brought Peter, James, and his brother, John, just uh, kind of interesting. Anyways, there's some neat stuff. Uh, we know James was one of uh, Jesus's biological brothers on his mother's side, but of course his father was not Joseph, though he was the man that raised him. So anyways, we're not going to get into all that today. We're going to focus on this, which is the God with us piece, Emmanuel. Uh, 
So the incarnation of Christ, we would call it, and that is him putting on flesh. So Christ being God took upon himself the form of man. He took upon himself flesh. And while, um, you know, maybe it's not a typical Christmas message because we are going to jump around a little bit. Um, it is a Christmas message because that's the whole deal with Christ coming and being born is he took on human flesh. He's God. He existed prior to his birth here on this earth. We're going to see that in the scriptures. Uh, and when he came, he came as a man. And uh, I read an article that uh, I'd call him a friend, but I guess he's more of an acquaintance wrote. And he just talked about some of the things that likely <clears throat> we don't think about when it comes to the fact that Christ was born as an infant here on this earth. Things like Joseph having to direct him and guide him. He said, I wonder if Joseph ever had to say, you didn't pl plane that board right. Or if, you know, his mother had to, had to ever tell him not to put his hand in the cookie jar. Now, I don't know, they had cookie jars back then, or even cookies for that matter, but you get the idea. Just some of those things like, well, nope, now's not the time for cookies or whatever, you know, I don't know. Now, he never sinned, understand, so I wouldn't say he was disobedient to his parents, but certainly... Uh, you know, there were things that he would have likely needed to be instructed on. Just interesting things that I guess I had never really thought too much about. Um, but as we get to our passage here, we're going to jump over to Philippians 2, because I don't think we can really talk about the incarnation of Christ without going over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, we're going to begin in verse number 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, understand that there's a message being preached here by the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, in this letter to the church of Philippi, and it's, a, it's to be of a humble mind, and to serve others, but we learn some things about Christ from this passage. So this was the mind of Christ. It's also what Christ did. It says in verse 6, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." So he was in, in heaven with God, is God. He's equal with God, and it's not robbery for him to be so, because he is God himself. Uh, he's one of the three persons of the Trinity. We've talked about that in maybe last week and a couple weeks before that. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. So he's God. He is worthy of great reputation. But when he came here, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He was made to be a man on this earth, to walk as a man on this earth. In verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, I already mentioned Christ existed prior to his coming to the earth. Don't lose your place in Philippians, because I'll probably reference that. But over in John chapter 1, We've looked at this in the past also. John chapter number 1, 
verses 1 through 3. Maybe you could even quote these verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice the capital W. It's a proper name. It is one of Christ's names. Verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Word made everything. In 1 John 5, 7, we looked at that one last week. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So we know that the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost make up the Godhead or the Trinity. There are many verses declaring that uh, and proving that Christ is God, but we can see that in both of those scriptures. And consider if Christ made everything, He had to exist before it, right? If the Word made everything, He had to exist before it was made, or else He couldn't have made everything. There are some who would say He was... You know, he didn't exist before being born or before being conceived in Mary's womb, but we know the reality is he, he did. Colossians 1.16 is another passage. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. And a neat little important point, and for him. Not only did he make everything, he made it for himself. So why do we exist? For Him. He doesn't exist for me. Well, sometimes that's how we're, our minds work. You know, we want God to be there when we want Him. He's our little buddy, the angel on our shoulder, but that's not the case. We're His servants, not He ours, but we like to put Him in that place because we put ourselves on the throne, right? I, I'm speaking to myself too, understand, but so God made the decision to send His Son. His Son came down, humbled Himself as a man, was born as a baby in a manger, which is essentially a, a feed trough for animals. When it says he, he made Himself of no reputation, it, the Bible isn't joking about that. Um, I know we always, you know, we often put together uh, plays or we set up uh, uh, nativity sets, or if you're French, creche, I think they call them. That's what Erica's family always called them. And um, <coughs> set those up, and it always has Jesus in the manger, right? Always has that little feed trough that put him in. And, and we're just so familiar with that that we don't think much of it. But the reality is, that's a pretty humbling thing. To be laid in a box with hay, which is either bedding or feed for animals, in, a, in a, this wooden manger that has probably had animals drool and slobber in there, and he's wrapped up in the, in the blanket and laid in there, but that's quite a humbling thing for someone who not long before was sitting at the right hand of the throne of God that was being worshipped by the cherubims and the seraphims, and, and the angels obeyed his every word and his every command, and by him... All things are made, but not only were they made, but all things consist. They continue to exist and do what they're supposed to do and function as He designed them to function because of Him and His power, and He made them to do so. And everything continues to work the way it works because of Him. The earth still revolves around the sun, and it revolves around the sun just so, so that we don't burn up because we're too hot, and we don't freeze because we're too cold. And the earth doesn't have to move much for that to happen. 
but he maintains it all just so. The oxygen levels are maintained. The, uh, you know, it, it always amazes me that trees just happen to exist, and what do they do? They absorb carbon dioxide and they expel oxygen, right? And then we just happen to exist and we breathe in oxygen and we expel carbon dioxide. We exhale carbon dioxide. And it just, to me, that's just one example of how God designed things to work in unison with one another. We coexist in a sense. Um, and it just always amazed me, but it just goes to show that there is an intelligent design. Things didn't just happen to be. Otherwise, all the things that breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, if there were no plants, wouldn't exist and vice versa, right? Because they would need carbon dioxide. So anyways, kind of interesting. Luke chapter 2, if we turn over to Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to look at verse number 7. I referenced it already, but we'll see in the Bible where it says here. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So, you know, obviously we know the story. They tried to get into the inn, but they couldn't fit him. There was no vacancy. You know, I think we, we used to have, we probably still have somewhere, the wooden uh, front to the inn. And it's, I think it says no vacancy, I think. But the lady who, who made it for us, I think she wrote it in Hebrew, Hebrew or Greek? Hebrew? Hebrew. Yeah, just to make it a little more authentic, I guess. That was, was kind of neat. But no vacancy. And uh, here's the King of Kings, the creator of the world, that's coming into the world as a man, as an infant but a human being in such a humble way. It is, it's amazing that when he came into the world, he uh, didn't come with any pomp or circumstance. There was no big to do, but he came and was born a humble, someone might even say a humiliating birth because it's a pretty low way to come into the world in a barn sure it was not very sanitary. We used to raise goats, and I can tell you our barn was not very sanitary. If you had a cut or anything like that, it would have been a good place to pick up some kind of infection or something like that. It was not a place that you would want to give birth. It just wouldn't. Uh, I doubt many women nowadays would even consider that a place to give birth. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, the king of the world, the king of the universe, was born just that way. The Bible says of him in Colossians 1.15. You can turn there if you want to. Colossians 1.15. I love the book of Colossians. It has, I, I could say this probably about all of them, but it's become one of my favorites. But so has Philippians and Ephesians and... <laughs> Hebrews and 1 John. And <laughs> so I say that, and then I'm like, well, if I say that, I can't, like, I can't pick any others that aren't my favorites. They're just all so good. 
But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? So uh, no one had ever seen God, but Christ came and became the image of the invisible God. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He, he pictured, it was evident, it, was, uh, it could be seen, Christ, uh, well, it says it right here, how does it work? In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That was pictured at His baptism. When He was baptized, and what happened? The Spirit descended as a dove, and the Father's voice was heard. Here, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we had all three persons of the Godhead represented there. Christ pictures or embodies the fullness of the Godhead. He's 100% God in human flesh. That's hard for us to understand. How can that be the case? Doctrinally, they call it the hypostatic union. Don't worry about ever remembering that because it'll probably never come up again. It's just a fancy word that I remember, so I like to show it off every once in a while. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I remember years ago when I was an assistant at Church Hill, we had a, a music pastor for a little while, and he could—I mean, he could play the piano. He was—he would make it sing like few people you've probably ever heard before. He had his—he uh, had his doctorates in sacred music from Pensacola Christian College, and uh, he could really play the piano. Um, there were some doctrinal things that I think ultimately kind of caused a him decide to go another direction or move back. Actually, there were some health things that caused him to move back to Texas. That was really the biggest thing um, because he, he had some kind of sickness that didn't respond well to the cold and the humidity up here. But down there, it's warm and dry where he, was, where he went back to. But anyways, he, uh, he used to, he talked about that multiple times, brought up the hypostatic union. So I don't think I could ever forget it if I wanted to. Uh, but he just used to talk about that from time to time. But uh, he was like six foot four, as skinny as Caleb, long arms with these long, skinny fingers. And he just, I mean, he just, he could sit in the middle and reach from one side of the piano to the other. And he just, I mean, and the rolls he used to, I mean, just like, He'd be playing a song that you knew, and he'd be doing these runs while he was playing, and it sounded like, I don't know, glitter falling down from heaven or something. I don't know, sparkles. I mean, it just was like, wow. You know, it was pretty amazing. But very musical family. He had a sister that played the violin and another sister that played maybe the cello or something like that. And they, when they came up to visit from Texas, the three of them would play. It was real nice. But anyways, so Christ, I don't know why I told you all that, but he's the one who introduced me to that phrase, hypostatic union, right, squirrel, exactly. So, 100% God in human flesh, the incarnation of Christ, the act of clothing with flesh, that's what the incarnation means, the act of assuming flesh, or of taking a human body and the nature of man as the incarnation of the Son of God. Christ came, and He came for a purpose. We read that purpose over in Matthew 121, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in order to do so, he had to put on a robe of flesh. He had to come as a man. Christ came, put on human flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life. He never sinned. He never, never thought a, a wicked thought, a sinful thought. He never committed a sinful deed. And that's profound 
for us because we can't even comprehend that. I can't comprehend that. Uh, just this morning, I probably was angry about something I shouldn't have been and sinned. You know, I mean, just uh, actually, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was. <laughs> it had to do with the news. I was setting something up and I, for church, and I, the news popped up when I opened up the app that we did, and there was some news article that I saw, and I'm like, are you kidding? Now, maybe I probably should have been angry at it, but... Uh, you know, it doesn't take anything for us to have a sinful thought or for us to commit a sinful deed. It's so easy for us in our flesh. So to think of anyone ever living on this earth that didn't struggle with those same things, it's hard for us to fathom. But it's one of the reasons Christ came and was born of a virgin because he didn't carry with him flesh or the seed of jo uh, Joseph which would have then caused him to inherit that sin nature. He didn't have that. So he lived a perfect, sinless life and then died, able to be our propitiation, which means only acceptable substitute to God the Father, so that we wouldn't have to take the stripes on ourselves that Isaiah says he took upon himself for us, so that we wouldn't have to suffer the penalty for our sins. Christ suffered it for us as God's propitiation. Had to take place, it had to work out that way. And think just how humbling it is for God, the Creator, the King of Kings, the Almighty, the self-existent one. The Bible calls him over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 14, I think, the Prince of Peace. He came and lived on this earth as a humble man. He wasn't he wasn't established as a king on this earth, not yet. He will someday, but he wasn't, but he certainly deserved to be. He's worthy of it, but he didn't. Instead, he was born a carpenter's son. We read over in our Philippians 2 passage that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Well, we already said because he is God, but he took on the Creator took on the form of His creation. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? His imperfect creation. He made it perfect, but it's not perfect anymore because of sin. But He took on the form of one of those persons in His creation. Why? So that He could become the Redeemer of His own creation. That's pretty amazing. I've never made anything, except maybe my kids, which I didn't really make them, but I guess... I kind of view it as God made them, but I've never made anything that I would ever think to die for, except, like I said, my children. So that tells you how God views us, His creation, that He'd lay down His life for us so that we could, so that we can be restored to a right relationship with Him and spend eternity with Him. So while Christ came to the earth as a man, He's man and God, 100% both. He didn't lay aside his deity. That's part of that statement that he was still 100% God. That's why when, uh, you know, he knew what people were thinking. That's why when he was speaking, he knew what they were thinking and was able to respond. That's why he knew what was going to come in the future because he was still God. He knew what was going to take place. That's why he was able to tell the disciples what he wanted them to do, what they were, 
what they were going to do. That's why he was able to tell them that he was going to die and be buried and rise again. Remember he told them, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to destroy this temple, but in three days I'm going to build it up again. Nobody knew what he meant, but he did. He's able to tell them that because he's God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew it was going to take place. Christ expressed the truth of his deity in John chapter 10. If we flip over there, John chapter number 10 and verse number 30. He says, I and my Father are one. Notice it wasn't stated in uh, future tense or in the past tense. But he says, I and my Father are one. We are currently one. Even though he was here carrying around a, uh, the robe of flesh, he was still one with the Father. This was... Yep. If Christ is one with the Father, we know that he must be God even while on the earth. Even though he became a man, he didn't cease to be God. If we look back over in John chapter number 1, remember we read the first three verses? If we pick up in verse number 6 and we read down for a ways here, it says... So John chapter 1, verse number 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, capital L, Christ, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, John wasn't, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was born the son of a Jewish couple, but they wouldn't receive him. But as many as received him, the ones that do, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word... There it is again, the capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. He declared Him when He came to be the image of the invisible God, the God-man in human flesh. So, John said, He which cometh after me is preferred before me, because He was before me. John knew that Jesus, in so coming was the creator of the world. He was the one who existed before him, even though he would be born after him. He would be on this earth, this flesh. John would be older than Jesus, not by a lot. But he knew that Jesus existed before he did. In Matthew chapter 17, 1-2, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. 
This was to demonstrate to his apostles that he is God in human flesh. He showed them uh, just a portion of his glory. He demonstrated to them his deity to show them that he is, in fact, the Christ. And all this, and still, when it came time for him to be crucified, for him to be killed, they still didn't really get it. Even though he told them he was going to die and rise again, they still didn't really understand, even though, as plainly as he could, it was shown to them. So even though Christ put on human flesh, he's still 100% God. God incarnate. In human flesh, that's what that means. You, you hear those things sometimes this time of year. We sing them in some of our, our Christmas carols. Well, hopefully, if you didn't know what it meant, now you will. So Christ came and put on human flesh, became a man. In spite of that, he's still God, Emmanuel, God with us. And lastly, because he came, because he put on human flesh, he also willingly gave his life. Now, Remember over in our Philippians passage, part of that text in verse number 8. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, he took on human flesh, and in so doing, he humbled himself and died a human death, a horrible human death. Maybe worse than anyone had at that point, or maybe anyone ever would. I won't get into all of it, but, I mean, just the way he was treated. The crown of thorns being, they weren't just gently placed on his head, they were pressed down on his head to be sure that they would break the skin and blood would run down his face. The whip that he was scourged with, having bone shards in it to make sure that it would bite in and tear at the flesh when he was whipped. I mean, when he was scourged. That's what scourging was. I mean, just the, the terrible things that he endured. So, if Christ is God, why did he stay on the cross? Why did he die? Why did he? Well, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? Well, look at John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10. I guess this is probably more how than why, but... John 10, 17 and 18 says... Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. Did you catch that? No one killed Christ. Well, then what happened? But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So, did the Jews kill him? Yeah, they put him on the cross. That's what it says over in Acts. So they certainly did that. Did man? Yes, man did that. But he didn't die because he, or he didn't unwillingly die. He could have taken himself off the cross. He could have stopped this whole thing. Isaiah says that he was led as a sheep dumb to the slaughter. It means 
without speaking. And when he stood before Pilate, did he defend himself? Nope. When he stood before Herod, did he defend himself? Nope. Why? Because it was all part of God's plan. It was all part of the necessity that was needed for you and I to be able to have redemption, to be able to be born again, to be able to be bought with a price so that we can be his child, so that we can do as it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It, is, it was necessary for us to have the privilege to be able to be a son of God, a child of the king, and one day spend eternity with him. So he could have done, as the song says, called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, to take him off the cross, to revenge his death. The fact is he didn't need or want to be saved. He was doing the saving that day, not being saved. What he was doing was so that you and I could be saved. Amen. What a God we serve. It boggles my mind to think the Creator became the saver of His own creation. Why? Because, you know, I'll be honest, I do, I do some carpentry work. And I guess the best example that comes to my mind is when I'm building something, if, it, if I mess it up and it doesn't go right, you know what I typically do? Destroy it and start over. I guess if I haven't got, if I'm not in a way that I can fix it. But I've built things where, oh man, this just isn't working right. It's not coming together right. Take it all apart and start all over again. God could have done that. He could have wiped the, state, the slate clean and started over from scratch, but he didn't. He chose instead to provide himself a lamb, as it says back uh, in Genesis provide himself a ram back in Genesis, but he chose to provide himself as the offering, as the sacrifice for you and I, rather than wipe the slate clean and start over with a new creature. He didn't do that. He chose to suffer to redeem us. And you know why that has to be something from God? Because it makes no sense to us as human beings. <laughs> so how do we know this is true? Well, because nobody would ever, be, would ever think of something like this. No one would think this up. God coming down to, re to redeem, to die on the cross and redeem his own creation? Why wouldn't he just start over? That makes a whole lot more sense to us and our human logic. But biblical sense doesn't always line up with logical sense. Man wouldn't create this story. Man wouldn't, wouldn't come up with this because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Because from a human perspective... That's not how we would do it. But from a biblical perspective, that's how God chose to do it. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Sometimes I do not know. But he does. And I'm thankful he does. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised, uh, endured the cross, right? Yes. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't look forward to it, the cross. He despised the cross. He despised the shame that came with it. You know who died on the cross? Criminals. People who had done wicked things. You know whose place Christ took? A murderer and a thief. You know who was on the cross?
crosses beside him, thieves. Christ was in the middle, an innocent man, having done nothing wrong in his entire life. It's hard for us to comprehend. Like I said, I'm sure I did something wrong this morning. I've probably done something wrong while I've been preaching. I don't know, but Christ did nothing wrong his entire life. And yet he died the death of a criminal. Publicly. It wasn't a private thing. It wasn't, you know, behind closed doors. No, it was made a spectacle for everyone to see. Look at this man. He's dying this criminal's death publicly so that people could laugh and mock. But that's not what he deserved. But he found joy in it. Why? Because he knew what his death was going to provide for you and I. So while he despised the shame of the cross, he endured it looking ahead and the, uh, to the joy that would be brought as a result of every person who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's what Christ saw. He didn't see the, the scourging. He didn't see the crown of thorns. He didn't see the beard being plucked from his face, ripped out of his face. He didn't see the nails being pierced into his body. He didn't see the being lifted up on the cross ultimately suffocating. That's how they would end up eventually dying on the cross. He didn't see all that. He endured it, despised the shame, but he went through it looking ahead at the joy that would be, that would be had when men and women would make the decision to believe on him for their eternal salvations. And they'd be made right with God and spend eternity with him. How many things are we unwilling to suffer because we forget to look ahead at what we have to look forward to? How many times do we say, ah, I can't do that. That's going to hurt too much. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too tough. And we're not looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're not looking ahead. I, I at times, do that. You ever th thought you should witness to someone? but we're afraid to do so or struggled to do it or just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. Why? Because we were focused on the discomfort that it would cause instead of on the potential eternal reward if that person were to receive Christ as their Savior. That's a tough pill to swallow for me too. It's a tough pill to swallow. You know, Christ did all that. He suffered all that. He endured all that for the joy that was set before him. But you know, there is a day. Go back to Philippians 2, if you would. Christ was temporarily humbled, not eternally humbled. We focus on that part of his life, of his ministry, of his time, but there is coming a time where he will get the pomp and circumstance, where there will be a big to-do, and he will sit on a throne, and he will rule this earth for a thousand years, and ultimately will reign king for all of eternity. Verses, so if you remember, the last verse we read was verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But look at what verse 9 
down through verse 11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day where he will be king. He's exalted now in heaven. What men do with him on this earth in the meantime, that's between them and God. They have a choice to make. But there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day's coming. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow. I don't know if it's five years, 50 years, 500 years, 5,000 years. I, I don't know how long it's going to be. I think it's probably sooner than later, but I don't know when exactly. God does. But that day is coming. And while there's some sadness in that, because there are some that will spend all eternity in hell for not receiving Him of their own accord. On the flip side, there are many that will get to enjoy the fruits of their salvation after that day. And that'll be a blessing. And part of the fruits of our, of our salvation is no more pain, no more suffering. We won't have to endure temptation any longer the consequences, or, or even sin, period. We won't sin any longer. Why? Because our unregenerate flesh that we still carry around will be changed and will be made incorruptible. We won't have to deal with that anymore. I look forward to that. So, I want to challenge us this Christmas. Remember why we celebrate the coming of Christ, or why we celebrate this holiday. It is to celebrate and remember the coming of Christ, His birth. But remember, as we consider that, all that that has brought along with it. It's hard for me, I don't know why, but it's hard for me to preach about Christ's birth and Christmas without still talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. I don't know why, but every time I think I pretty much have to, it's like the two go hand in hand. Because if he hadn't come, he wouldn't have died. And if he didn't die then we probably wouldn't be here because there'd be no salvation. We wouldn't be doing something like this, or if we were, it would be just some dead religion. But because he came, he was able, and he chose to die. And after he died, he rose so that you and I can have eternal life. And what a gift from an amazing God that is. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll have a moment of invitation, and we'll dismiss for lunch. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that it has not fallen on deaf ears, but I pray that, Lord, we've been challenged by some things. To remember the reason that we celebrate Christmas. It's, it's not about me. It's not about us as people or as individuals. It's about remembering the fact that you came remembering your incarnation, that you put on human flesh. And Lord, we can't really remember that without remembering the sacrifice that you made for us. Just you coming was a sacrifice. But then, of course, you dying was a major sacrifice. I thank you that you didn't stay dead but that you rose again from the grave. It was prophesied multiple places. We read in Sunday school. We're in Psalm 16. 
the hand of David penning the words prophesied of your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that because you rose again, through faith in you, we can be born again. We can receive the free gift of salvation. I pray we have it, Lord. And if anyone doesn't, I pray they would get it settled and receive the free gift. Before we close the prayer this morning, is there anyone that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not on my way to heaven. I know I'm not right with God. My sins are between Him and I. But I'd like to get that straightened out. I'd like to get it settled and know that one day I'll spend eternity in him, with Him. If that's you and you're here today, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? Maybe you're here and you don't have to raise your hands, but you'd say, you know, I really need to do a better job about sharing my faith. I need to do a better job of being burdened for souls. Maybe you've become a little calloused or hardened to the need of our friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members, their need for salvation. It can be easy for us to become hard to those things. I'm thankful that Christ never became hard to our need. I pray He'd help us to be sensitive to the need of others. We would say my, our focus for this holiday season has gotten away from what it ought to be. Maybe we haven't been focused on Christ. And we'd realize we need to. Let's just take a couple minutes. I'll give folks a little time to pray, and then I'll close us out in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for each person that's here and be with those who aren't able to be with us. I pray things are going well for David and Grace Baptist down in South Paris. Be with those who are out sick. And Father, I just pray this morning that you'd help us to keep you as the focus of our Christmas time as we remember your coming, your birth, your incarnation. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget about it, and we wouldn't take it for granted, but we'd remember all that means. We read in Matthew that you came in the birth account, that you came to be the Savior of the world. Lord, we thank you that we have been able to be the 
beneficiaries of your gift of salvation. I pray we have. And I pray, Father, as we have you to thank, someone was faithful to tell us, to preach to us, to share with us the gift, and we received it. And I pray, Father, that we would, in like fashion, be burdened for others and faithful to share. The truth is, many, even most, will likely not receive the message that we offer, the gift that we offer, but some will, and everyone should get that chance. I pray we'd be faithful to share. I pray you'd burden our hearts for the lost, as clearly, Father, you love them and you laid down your life for them. I pray we'd be faithful to share with them uh, what they can have in you, what you've done for them. Father, I pray you bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship next door. Um, Lord, be with uh, Sarah and Esther and Chris as they travel. Um, Lord, just give them safety. Uh, be with Brother Steve as he flies back on Monday. Uh, be with Erica, homesick, and Jada and Katie and Nathan, homesick. And uh, there may be others, Lord. You know where the folks are that weren't able to be here today, and I just pray you'd be with them. Uh, be with Mrs. Varney, Angela, Lord, and her health. Lord, others that need your prayers, I just pray you'd help us to think of them often and continue to lift them up in prayer. Those who need to be saved, those who need to be healed, and those who just need your help, Lord, I pray we'd be faithful. We ask all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.